All right, good morning, everyone. I'm David. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at King's. And if you're joining us for the first time, or if you missed the last two weeks, you know that we're working our way through the Psalms this summer. And we're not, we're not attempting to preach on all 150, because that wouldn't be possible. But we're looking at the different genres or types of Psalms that make up the Psalter. So last week, um, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 146, which was a Psalm of praise. Uh, but as we've learned, praise is not the dominant type of psalm in the collection. Rather, the genre known as lament, the psalms of lament, they actually make up most of the Psalter. And one way to define lament is the cry of distress in which the psalmist expresses the suffering and disappointment of life in a fallen world. Lament psalms are, as one Old Testament scholar put it, they are psalms of disorientation. Psalms of disorientation. Because in these psalms, the psalmist who pens the words is rubbing up against the circumstances that don't seem to make sense with how God's well-ordered world should work. Promises do not seem to be kept. God seems to be silent or absent. Um, Evil people seem to prosper. What's going on here? The wrestling and the confusion that faithful followers of God experience in these seasons are captured in these psalms of lament that we're going to be looking that we're going to be looking at one of them today. So Psalm 88 is our representative lament psalm this morning, and um, let's stand together as we read as we read it. Hear the words of Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shale. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we read this dark psalm, um, we are struck by how desperate this man is to hear an answer from you, to find relief from you, to find comfort from you. And God, I know that some of, some of the people here today are in that place. And many of us have been in that place. So God, I pray that the psalm would open up new vistas for them to see that, that it's okay to be in this place, that they can still express faith and that there's a morning that is coming. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. William Cowper was born on November 15th, 1731, and he went on to become a well-known poet of his time. He also became a believer in Christ, and he penned some familiar hymns that some of you may know. For instance, he wrote, God moves in a mysterious way, and he also wrote, there is a fountain filled with blood. And yet his entire life, he struggled with a terrible depression, both before and after coming to Christ. Every 10 years, he would fall into an intense depression and attempt to take his own life multiple times. And at the end of his life drew near, the darkness of his mind and heart only grew deeper. In 1792, he wrote that he always seemed to be, quote, scrambling in the dark among rocks and precipices without a guide. Thus, I have spent 20 years, end quote. In 1799, a year before he died, he wrote the poem, The Castaway, about a man washed overboard without hope of rescue, dying before the eyes of his shipmates. The lines read as such. But misery still delights to trace its semblance in another's case. No voice divine the storm allayed, no light propitious shone. When snatched from ineffectual aid, we perish each alone. But I, beneath a rougher sea, and whelmed in deeper gulfs than he. Now I know some of you, as you look at this poem, you're having bad flashbacks to high school English class, right? But, but stay with me here. Cowper is basically saying in the first two lines, hey, you know that guy who was washed overboard? That's pretty terrible. But there's another guy who's going through something similar. And then he goes on to say, no divine voice stopped the storm, no wondrous light flashed all around us. Instead, both of us, that sailor who got washed overboard, and me, the poet, a.k.a. William Cowper, we each perished alone, but I, beneath a rougher sea, and whelmed in deeper gulfs than he. That sailor guy had it pretty bad, but I died. I mean, he's being metaphorical, but he's, he's feeling close to death, but I died in a rougher sea, in deeper valleys. That's, that's a pretty dark poem for a Christian to write. And a mere month before he died in 1800, he said to his doctor, I feel unutterable despair. When I read about William Cowper's life, it's troubling because it's so dark. 
it makes me wonder, can someone who knows Jesus as his, as his Lord and Savior feel these emotions? Shouldn't he express more trust and faith in the goodness of God? Many of you here today know people who are walking through deep valleys, who are perishing beneath a rougher sea. And perhaps you yourself are in that place here today. How is one supposed to respond when the darkness seems utterly and totally complete? How are we supposed to respond in such times? How are we to respond when the circumstances seem bleak, but more than that, when God seems silent or far away? There's the implication in Cowper's poem that he wanted the divine voice to intervene. He wanted some heavenly light to shine through the darkness in the midst of his storm, but it didn't. What are we to do? I believe that Psalm 88 is in our Bible to help us grapple with these darkest times when the darkness does not lift. And this psalm tells us three things. The first point, darkness can be pitch black even for those who know God. Darkness can be pitch black even for those who know God. Psalm 88 has long troubled its readers because it actually breaks the normal pattern of a lament psalm. As I said in my introduction, this is, this is one of the psalms of lament. And it begins, you know, like a typical lament psalm. It begins with a plea in verses 1 through 2, and again in verses 13 through 14. The author of Psalm 88 pleads with God to do something. In this case, the psalmist wants God to incline his ear and to show his face. Then, it continues in a typical fashion, the author pours out his complaint to God, which is pretty much all the other verses. He expresses the dark nature of his circumstances and why he, need, he needs God to act. So what exactly is he facing? Well, we see in verse three, his soul is full. It's literally saturated with troubles. And then in verse 3, we also see that he's drawing near to Sheol. Sheol is just the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. It basically, it, it's, not, it's not exactly hell. It just means to be cut off, to be dead, to be cut off from the land of the living. We see in verse 4 that he's without strength and weak. We see in verse 8 that all his friends shun him. We see in verse 15 that he feels helpless in verse 16, he feels assaulted by God. In verse 17, he feels like he's about to drown. And yet, these circumstances and emotions are all expressed in other psalms of lament. What makes this psalm extraordinarily dark and different from all the other lament psalms is that there is no ending where the psalmist reaffirms his trust in God, where hope and praise are expressed. Psalm 13, for example, is a much more typical psalm of lament. The psalmist opens with, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It sounds similar in some sense to the opening of Psalm 88, but it ends, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That is actually the typical pattern of a lament psalm. But in contrast, how does Psalm 88 end? Look at that last verse. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And if you're reading out of the ESV translation of the Bible, which I am, the final word is darkness. And that actually accurately reflects the Hebrew text. In the Hebrew text, the final word is darkness. That's the last word of this psalm. There seems to be no light in this psalm. There's no turn in this psalm after an impassioned complaint where the psalmist bursts into, the Lord has heard my plea, the Lord accepts my prayer. That's Psalm 6. Or, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. That's Psalm 59. Instead, Psalm 88 makes us wrestle with the hard truth that sometimes, even as disciples, our dark times will feel complete and unrelenting. We won't always be able to say, God, despite everything that is utterly terrible in my life, I will praise you. We won't always be able to say, even with my cancer diagnosis, even though I lost my job, even though my child is dying, I will still declare your goodness, O oh God. Sometimes all we will be able to say is, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Full stop. For many of us, there, are, there will be seasons, even a lifetime like William Cowper, where, we, where all we experience is an engulfing, overwhelming, pitch-black darkness. And Psalm 88 helps us acknowledge that reality. Psalm 88 helps us, shows us that to experience the dark night of the soul is not outside the scope of Christian experience, and it's not outside the experience of the people of faith. That's why those who preach a prosperity gospel, those who say, what God wants for you is to be financially prosperous and physically healthy, that's why that gospel is so damaging. Because they teach that the greater faith you have, the more security and prosperity you will receive. It is the will of God that you be happy, rich, and healthy. And of course, they ask for your money because by giving specifically to their ministry, you will receive God's blessing. But it's not their manipulation of people's purse strings that's the worst part. The worst and most evil part of their gospel and theology is that they lead people to believe that with faith, suffering can be avoided. The reason you haven't been healed or the reason you're still poor is because you don't believe in God enough. You're suffering because you haven't been obedient enough and you have sin in your life. Is it any wonder that when the darkness comes to people who believe in that gospel and that theology, they are crushed by it? They beat themselves to a pulp because they, they, they think that they, they just need more faith or they just end up turning away from God. 
I've seen this response personally in my life because in 2003, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer and she died after a short three-month battle. My dad, who had grown up as a sole Christian among his brothers and sisters, who had faithfully served the church all of his life as a Sunday school teacher, choir director, etc., gradually turned away from God. A few years after her death, my dad said to me, I don't understand why this happened to us. Both your mom and I had faithfully served God for so many years. This shouldn't have happened. He had never been involved with prosperity gospel-type churches, yet his response revealed a theology with a similar core. And really, I think none of us are immune from this tendency in our hearts to think that living faithfully, obeying God's word will keep us from at least the worst kinds of suffering, from an overwhelming experience of darkness. If a Christian is experiencing an intense season of depression, have you ever thought, well, you just need to pray more and trust God more? We might assume they aren't reading their Bible as faithfully as they should, or there's some sin they haven't confessed. And if someone in the midst of a crisis admits that they don't feel God's presence, they don't feel his love and his care, do you think in their heart, do you think in your heart, oh, well, you know, maybe something's kind of wrong with their spiritual life, with their relationship with God? Psalm 88 reminds us not to be surprised, to not be surprised at darkness that might be so deep in someone's life but instead to be understanding, compassionate, and empathetic when Christians speak darkly about life. You may not be in the darkness, but be good companions and walk with those who are. And for those who are currently plunged into the darkness, some of you are in that state here today, I want Psalm 88 to be a comfort to you. What you're going through is not abnormal in some sense. It is certainly not the way that God intended for the world to be when he created it, but sin entered the world and the worst kind of brokenness followed it. As people who live in this world, we are affected by that sin and we can suffer often not because of anything we have done, but because of what people are doing to us. Psalm 88 is here in your Bible to give expression to how you might be feeling so that you can call out, you can call upon the Lord. It can guide you to call upon the Lord and not feel false while doing it, not having to say, I will sing to the Lord instead when all you want to say is, why do you hide your face from me? My companions have become darkness. And the Bible is telling you it's okay to be in that place. So to be in darkness, crying out to God like the psalmist without answer and or relief, and without a, without a sense of answer or even a transition to renewed hope, does not mean at all that God hates you or that you lack faith. Rather, darkness can reveal true faith, even, a, even if it looks different. That's my second point. Darkness can reveal true faith, even if it looks different. Now, when most of us think of a person of great faith, we might think of someone like Polycarp, who was an early church father. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and he died a martyr. 
In the, a text was written soon after his death called The Martyrdom of Polycarp, and in it, it recounts his final hours. First, Polycarp is arrested, and then the Roman proconsul takes him before a large arena, imagine the Colosseum, for example, and tries to get him to deny his faith. He says, reproach Christ, and I will set you free. Polycarp famously replies, 86 years have I served him, that's Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Those are powerful words. The proconsul then replies, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. And by repent, he means give up on Jesus, you know. And Polycarp is unfazed. He responds, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. This Roman proconsul obviously sees that his threats and intimidations are not working, so he decides, all right, I'll just kill the guy. So he decides to burn him alive. And as people come to fix him with nails so that he won't struggle as the fire is starting up, most people naturally, if a fire is being built at your feet, you're going to want to at least move away. Polycarp, being the total Chuck Norris of martyrs, says this, Leave me as I am, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. And then he prays this long, wonderful prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. So when we think of people of great faith, we think of the polycarps. We think of people who are unflappable, bold, and fearless in the face of suffering. Psalm 88 is probably the absolute last place we turn to in the Bible as a model to show people how to deal with a crisis. It's, it's the last psalm we would think of, and yet maybe we should. The psalmist of Psalm 88 actually models a deep and true faith in the midst of darkness, even though it isn't expressed in powerful declarations of trust as we might expect. The most clear and evident illustration of this faith is the way the psalmist engages with God. The way the psalmist engages with God. Because for 18 verses, the psalmist is crying out, he's praying, he's accusing, he's pouring out his soul towards God. Now, for me, I, I struggle to even pray like more than five sentences. Can you imagine if you're in the depths, if you're in darkness, the last thing you want to do is to pray this lengthy prayer to God. And yet, the psalmist is tenacious. He prays to God beyond just a couple of sentences. He pours out his soul to God. I heard a talk once by David Pallison, a Christian counselor and professor many years ago, and something he said always stuck with me. In this talk, he gave an illustration, and I'm paraphrasing this. For the Christian, it's not about the speed of their growth in Christ. It's not the rate that matters, but the direction. Some of us, in a certain season of life, seem to grow with leaps and bounds. Others are kind of a, on a more slow and steady walk. 
And some of us encounter seasons where we're just trudging. And some of us are crawling on our hands and knees. And some of us are just sitting still. What matters is the direction that we're facing. Now, I revisited his talk as I prepared for the sermon as it reminded me of Psalm 88. And to my surprise, he actually mentioned Psalm 88 in that specific portion of his talk. But I forgot. And here's what he says. He says, quote, Some people crawl on their hands and knees. Progress is painful. Praise God for the glory of his grace. You are inching in the right direction. And there are times you aren't even moving, stuck in gridlock, broken down, but you are still facing in the right direction. That's Psalm 88, the basement of the Psalms. This man feels dark despair, but it's despair in the Lord's direction. In other words, it's still faith. Even when faith feels so discouraged, you can only say, you are my only hope, help, where are you? That counts. It made it into the Bible. I love how he describes it. Despair in the Lord's direction. That's all the psalmist had to offer. Despair in the Lord's direction. Yet it's faith because it's directed towards God. The psalmist expresses a persistent faith because even in the face of a silent God, a God who seems to have turned his face away, he's still coming to him. He's still recognizing that only God can change his circumstances, his heart, and give him the relief he needs. We see that faith in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation. Where he recognizes that God is the one who will save, who alone can save him from this darkness. And we see his faith in verses 10 and 12, where he asks God a series of very pointed questions. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? For many of us to ask God these accusatory questions seems deeply uncomfortable But the psalmist is essentially saying, God, I want to praise you. I want to make you known, but I'm dying here. I'm overwhelmed here. I'm at the end of my rope. Don't you care? Why don't you do something? Perhaps you might think we can't speak to God this way, yet this this psalmist is expressing faith because he knows that to praise God, to declare God's steadfast love, to make known his righteousness is what he ought to be doing yet he can't. And what makes his persistent engagement with God all the more amazing is that this psalmist has nothing to gain. What do I mean by that? This psalmist is near death, swamped by darkness. God is no hope, no comfort, no solace. God appears silent and distant. What does praying to God do for him? With the other psalmist, They pray to God and they are at least able to find comfort in God's past goodness or his character or some sense of response from God. But not this guy. When you're in the depths, it's a whole lot easier to disengage from God because praying to him gives you no comfort. Why go to church? Why read your Bible? Why do anything God-related? 
He has abandoned you. He has turned out the lights. He has turned his face away. Why even go to him? Darkness brings us to the point where the motives of our hearts are revealed. Are we loving and serving God for himself or for ourselves? Those who love and serve God for himself, for God alone, are those who have absolutely nothing to gain and yet persist with God. They ought to be counted among the faithful. Some of you came to church today, despite the fact that nothing here feels beneficial to you. You were in utter darkness externally and internally. The songs ring hollow. To hear scripture is painful. To pray feels like a heavy weight around your neck. And yet you came. And because you came, you are an encouragement to me and to everyone around you. Your faith is real and shines through to us even in the midst of your darkness. Your presence here today expresses a desire to engage with God even when you have no reason to want to, when he's not doing anything for you, but you are coming for him and your deep faith revealed in the most terrible of circumstances is humbling to the rest of us. Darkness can reveal true faith even if it looks different. Finally, Psalm 88 helps us grapple with the darkest of times because it tells us darkness can be a long night, but there will be a morning. Darkness can be a long night, but there will be a morning. Now, if you've been paying attention, you might be wondering, am I just going back on everything I just said about this psalm? Clearly, this psalm ends in darkness. Where is the morning in this psalm? To answer this question, we have to ask another question. Don't you hate it when people do that? Who experienced Psalm 88 to its fullest extent? Who can say, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol? Who knows intimately the words, O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Who experienced complete darkness and complete abandonment? Matthew 27 says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? More than you or me, or even the psalmist who wrote Psalm 88, Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like to be plunged into darkness, to experience the dark night of the soul, to feel God's hand heavy against him, and to cry out with a loud voice, and to hear only deafening silence. For more than anyone, Jesus was, as Isaiah 53.3 says, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. And why did Jesus have to experience such darkness? Because when it comes down to it, God's wrath, his anger against us, is justified. He created and loved us, 
And no matter how good you think you are, you've rejected him. You've lived your own way. You've broken his law and you've hurt others. But God wants to forgive you. And yet to forgive means to absorb the debt. That's why forgiveness towards someone who has wronged us is so hard. They owe us something. They owe us restitution for the wrong they've done against us. And we don't take our pound of flesh when we forgive them instead. So too with God. God came down in the person of Jesus Christ, taking on our humanity so that he could absorb our debt, the wrath, the darkness that we deserve on the cross. For those who believe in Jesus, we will never experience total darkness because Jesus' darkness was total. We will never experience true abandonment because Jesus experienced true abandonment. We may feel like God has turned his face away from us, but he never truly will because the Father turned his face away from, the, from his Son on that cross. Jesus can truly say that darkness was his only companion as he hung there, rejected by all on that cross. And yet he went there out of love so that you will never have to say, darkness is my only companion. You may feel that way keenly in the bleakest of times, but it will never truly be true. Because of Jesus, God will never leave nor forsake you. And on top of that, there will be a morning. How do we know this? Because three days later, after Jesus was laid in, laid in the grave, he rose again to new life. The Bible calls Jesus the first fruits because Jesus is the very first man to be a part of something new, another age, a coming era where the world will be remade, where the final enemy, death, will be destroyed and there will be no crying, no pain, no tears, only life and complete joy. It's what we long for and what Peter, Edmund, and Lucy must have experienced when at the very end of the last battle, the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, when the world has been remade, Aslan turns to them and tells them, the term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream is ended, this is the morning. William Cowper, who lived in so much darkness, was recorded to have a similar experience. On his deathbed, it is said that his face suddenly lighted up with a look of wonder and inexpressible delight. A few minutes later, he said, I am not shut out of heaven after all. Then he breathed his last. Even though the darkness can be a long night, a chronic illness, a persistent depression, a sense of abandonment by God, it will not last forever. Even the threat of death cannot swallow us. For though the psalmist asks, do the departed rise up to praise you, expecting a no, Jesus Christ answers and says, in me, the departed will rise to praise you. For when the morning comes, we will rise and praise our God. Let's pray together. Father God, some of us are 
in a dark, dark place. We feel that you have left us, you have abandoned us, you are not answering our prayers. We cry out to you and we hear nothing. God, I pray that Psalm 88 would be an encouragement to them to know that they are not alone, to know that as they come to you faithfully, their faith is being lived out. Their faith is not weak, but is instead being refined, is instead expressed in in wondrous ways that they might not be able to see. God, I pray that most of all, they would look to Jesus and see that this darkness will not last forever. There will be a morning, and it is coming. So in the name of your Son, who makes all things new, we pray. Amen.